Best Book Bits podcast brings you Ryan Tuckwood, founder and CEO of Swish Sales Coaching, selling with integrity and selling honestly. A proud father, multiple business owner, advisor, investor, and speaker. Ryan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Excited to be uh, be a part of it. Now, uh, we'll jump into all things sales soon, but take us back to being a mechanic maintenance engineer at the age of 27. You left the UK, you had a girlfriend for five years, drove an Audi TT, Siberian Husky, investment property, and you were not fulfilled. Why and where did you go? Mate, there's, uh, there's some bullet points of, uh, of my life. Um, yeah, so uh, you, you kind of summarized the, the whole thing. I was a mechanical maintenance engineer for eight years in the, in the UK. Um, I was doing something I was good at, um, and I was, I'm a bit of a perfectionist anyway. I've got a level of OCD. Um, so I was a good engineer, but yeah, as you quite rightly said, I, I definitely wasn't fulfilled, although I was achieving. Um, and I think it's an ongoing battle that a lot of people have, especially when they get into the world of sales. There's people that are they're, they're selling, they're making money, they're achieving, um, but they're not fulfilled. Maybe they don't love the product, they don't um, love the, the business they work for. Maybe they don't believe in the support that's on the back end. Um, and I had my first taste of that at 27. So um, I decided to give everything up, jumped on a plane, moved over to Australia. Um, and uh, as a backpacker, the, the visa that I was on at the time, you could only work for one company for six months maximum. So I, I struggled to find employment and I was determined not to go back into engineering because I knew I'd get caught up in the, the financial side of things again. So um, I ended up, I found myself in a, in a call center, smashing the phones, just 300 dollars a day, getting abuse after abuse. Um, and uh, after about three months of doing that, I'm sitting there 21st out of 21 people on a sales board and, um, and realized that this, this maybe isn't for me, um, got to a stage that I, I now call my crisis point and it was, I guess you'd call it a catalyst for this business. Um, I had 31 cents to my name, it was in March 2011 and uh, I was sleeping on a bathroom floor um, on a pool floaty or a lilo depending on where you're listening to this around the world. And then uh, um, one night, it was a, a Tuesday night in this windowless box of a bathroom, the pool floaty just popped on me and I just sank to the floor and that was it, that, that for me, that was the lowest that I've been in regards to not succeeding, not having any finance, uh, finances behind me, not even having a bedroom or a bed. Um, and I decided that I was gonna quit. Um, <clears throat> and that day, I guess the day I quit, the following morning, is really the reason that I'm here right now because subsequently as I went into the office and I, and I handed my notice in, my sales manager at the time, Jack, who was actually the co-founder of this business with me back in 2014, he wouldn't allow me to quit. He he said to me dead straight that I'm not letting you quit because you haven't even tried. Um, and that really hit hard for me because I, I felt that I was trying, I felt that I was working hard. But what he said I hadn't actually done was fanatically obsess over the art and craft of sales and communication, um, which I didn't believe was a skill. Um, and that was the start really of the journey. Yeah, thanks for unpacking that. And uh, when you said you really hit a low point, I was going to say, yeah, when the pool floor pops and you're on the on the floor, you're actually at the lowest point uh, you possibly can be. So, thank yeah, thank you for sharing that story. And I had those notes written down as well. So, yeah, getting into that, I guess the the catalyst or what I like to call this uh, fuck this event uh, happened for you when 
you you made the decision to hey I'm going to quit and the boss is like no you really haven't given it a crack uh, talk about sort of the formation of habits and how you sort of turn yourself around to go from 21 out of 21 to number one in the company what was the sort of early steps you did with understanding a few of the basics with sales and using your engineering experience to actually engineer sales and say hang on a sec I actually have a growth mindset not a fixed mindset and I can actually learn these 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 sales games so what were the sort of early things that you did to set you apart from other people firstly i'd love to say that i had a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset but i didn't at the time um, i definitely had a fixed mindset i was very much of the belief that sales was not a learned skill um and i only did the training out of spite truth be told i was uh, almost self-sabotaged so the the way it was positioned to me was if you will study and train give me 15 minutes a day just 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 consume as much content as you can listen to the top performers you do that every single day for the next 60 days and if you haven't moved the needle at all if you're still 21st if you you haven't improved your financial situation then i'll pay for you to go wherever say jack literally offered to pay for alicia and i to go wherever we wanted in the world um and he said at least then you're leaving knowing that you gave it all you've got so I almost didn't want it to work. I wanted, because I didn't believe that sales was a skill. So I, I'd never, hopefully this comes across the right way, but I'd never failed at anything in my life. So the fact that I was failing, I didn't want to blame me. I wanted to blame the industry. I wanted to say that sales isn't for me. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do some study. I'll do some reading. I'll listen to some more calls, watch some videos. And I just thought, wouldn't, if I can do it for two more months, I've got my flights paid for. And that was all I had ringing in my mind. But then what happened is I got exposed to the likes of Jim Rowan, Tom Hopkins, Brian Tracy, um, Zig Ziglar, um, Jordan Belfort, Grant Cardone, some of the old school greats and the, the not so greats. But I think what I really saw, Michael, was not necessarily, there wasn't a definitive moment. There was just a, a combination of processes. They all had a system or a process or an order of which they were doing things. Um, so obviously for me, I wanted to make more sales. I wanted to book more appointments, um, generate more leads. I started to recognize if I changed the order of which I did things with people, I could get a better response. If I worked on, I mean, Jordan Belford, say what you want about the guy. Like he, he made me aware of tonality and tonality not being speak louder or quieter. That's, that's volume. Um, and, and that awareness, I think a few things just started to click into place for me. And I was all of a sudden able to keep people on the phone for longer. I was able to beat a gatekeeper. If somebody gave me an objection, I at least had a, a process to, to not necessarily overcome it. I didn't overcome every objection, but I was able to deal with it. So I didn't fear them, which meant that I was increasing my activity rates. Um, I, I was going home in the evening, less stressed. My, my wife was getting a better version of me. And within five weeks all of a sudden i'd crept up the leadership board and i was number one in five weeks and it, and it and i can't tell you it was categorically when i said this language pattern it was just a combination of things and um i guess that was the foundation for swish as well because it was developing me as a person not just not just this is how you close deals and that's we don't want that to be swish we want to develop people um and yeah i went from 21st to first in five weeks and Within 18 months, I was running a team of 47 and did over 300K in comms. And it, it, it literally, I, I don't say this in a glib fashion, it literally changed my life because I realized two things. Number one, sales is impact. I was able to support, my, my dad's been pretty ill for the best part of two decades, and I was able to support my family and send money home for them. Um, and number two, sales is a process. It is a skill that can be learned. 
by anybody. Um, and that was really then the, the kick on for, I can't be the only person in sales right now that doesn't want to be in sales, that isn't naturally gifted linguistically, um, and maybe is getting a bit anxious on the phone and, and they're more of a natural introvert. So we created Swish with the mission of changing the perception of the industry so that we can help good good people, authentic people articulate the value of what they do better without compromising any values. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down. And yeah, some of the notes I got from that was, yeah, definitely having that mentor or that leader in the company that actually had belief in you and that actually spent the time to train you. And then you learning from the greats, the Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, all the all the great people behind me in the books, and I've learned from them as well. And, you know, going out there and say, you know what, I, I can learn this. This is a skill. It is a process. Many people have mastered it and given it a red hot crack as well. What did you do after that? And when was Swish sort of born? Yeah, what what did you do after the call center and managing and doing over 300Ks in comms? What was the next steps from you? To- yeah, I think it kind of organically grew as I became more of a, a leader, which um, I never really see myself as um, initially. I We were... We were recruiting quite a lot within the business. Um, some people would succeed, some people would leave, um, some would last two weeks, um, and then they would get to, um, what did you call it, the fuck this moment? Fuck this moment, yeah, a fuck this moment. Yeah. Um, they'd, they'd get to their own moment, um, their version of what mine was when my, my Lilo burst, and then they would quit and they would walk away. And I was getting frustrated with seeing people walk away before giving it a really good go. Um, and, I, and I had that conversation with Jack ringing in my ears that w- there's... There's too many people slipping through this industry, even in our business where we were, without they were, their money, their expectations weren't managed, they weren't provided with the right training, they were given capability training, but not mindset training. Um, and I started to really love the morning meetings, the, the one-on-one coaching, the barging phone calls, guiding people, reflecting on their own, um, uh, their own sales acumen. And then I, I think, I'm sure I had a conversation with Jack and I'm like, I think I like coaching. And he's like, I love coaching. Um, and, he, and I said, what would we coach? He's like, well, what do we know? And all we knew was well, engineering and sales. Uh, and I said, but the, the, the big problem is that people can't find, um, or people won't get given a go in sales if they haven't got experience, or if they do get given a go, they don't last more than two, two weeks. So we actually decided to create in 2014, or early 2014 was the idea. Then for about six months, whilst we were, um, Jack actually retired for, for six months essentially, but was building this business with me on the side. Um, we created a non-for-profit sales recruitment agency, um, which at the time was called ISR Training and Recruitment, so Instant Sales Results. Um, and the aim was to take anybody, regardless of experience, and put you through two to three days worth of sales training with us um, in a classroom. And at the end of those days, you would be equipped with the skills, predominantly, I will say back then, predominantly call center based, with the skills to be able to go into a role and at least hold your own. Um, And we did that, we had that model for about two to two and a half years, maybe three years. um, And it was, it worked phenomenal. We had every single week we would get 17, 18 year olds. Maybe they were lacking a bit of confidence. They maybe they'd never had a sales role before. They'd apply for a job, they'd go through our training, we'd put them through the training. And then we created a digital online academy in 2016 to support them in their first 10 weeks in the role as well. So that when they did hit that fuck this moment, we were still there for them and supporting them and we would manage their expectations. And we had like a 96% placement rate every week into roles. We did two and a half thousand people into work in just over two and a half years. 
Um, and it really gave us then credibility in the market as sales trainers um, because we never charged the business for the placement. So there was no risk to a business. And it, what happened in time was, imagine if we put you into a business with no experience, then you're their top performer in the first 10 weeks. The business owner would then come back and go, can you now train the rest of our team? And that's kind of how we then evolved into corporate and business sales trainers, I guess. Yeah, and fast forward 2018 and Shark Tank, what's that experience like with Shark Tank and how did it, how did it go down? Uh, terrifying um, in, in, in a word. Uh, it, it went down because Jack forced it to go down. I didn't want to do it. And so I remember in two, November 2017 slash December, Jack, Jack had approached me and asked me if I, what about, I thought about going on Shark Tank. And I said, I think that's a stupid idea. Why, why would we do that? We were, we were already growing at a tremendous rate and we had a great reputation, albeit Southeast Queensland. Um, I would like, I'll, in my head, I'm like, why would we risk that? Why would we put ourselves on show as sales trainers um, and risk not making a sale live in front of, I know they got about a million viewers per episode. Uh, and he said, that's a shame because I've already applied. So, so he never gave me the choice, and that's just Jack. Knowing my personality, I would have procrastinated on it. So, um, for the next three months, we we prepared for it. And we then flew down to Sydney, and um, yeah, I guess if you've seen the episode, the rest is history. We we became the first company in the Austra um, in the history of Australian Shark Tank to secure three with Steve, Andrew, and Glenn. So it was an amazing experience, but yeah, definitely terrifying. Yeah, awesome. And then, yeah, fast forward now, you were recently uh, awarded sort of last year, prestigious distinguished talent visa as per Australia's global talent program. So congratulations on that as well. So yeah, getting back to sort of Swish, you tell us what it sort of stands for. It's selling with integrity, selling honestly. Yeah, let, let's sort of go through it and how that sort of came about as well. What are you doing now with the company? Yeah, the uh, I mean, Swish itself, it's an evolution of ISR training. Um, I remember we were talking about a potential rebrand. Um, I remember sitting in the boardroom with Jack and, and we were trying to discuss names because ISR training, it just never really hooked anybody. It didn't mean anything. Um, and Jack said, is there anything that you say in training consistently that, um, that we could use? And I said, I don't know. I kind of start every training session by saying to people, we want to change the perception of this industry. And we want to show you how you can sell with integrity and sell honestly. I mean, that's what we truly believe in. And then we just almost, almost at the same time, I went, swish, selling it. And, and it just kind of, and Jack loves basketball. So that, that kind of, that, that just stuck. Um, and I guess it started off as a bit of a fancy acronym um, and a belief system. And it's really now evolved into um, uh, an education or a curriculum that is designed to work on both skill set and capabilities and mindset and resilience. So building building the best people, not just building the best salesperson. Um, over time now, I've been able to bring in um, a cohort of coaches. I've got 14 coaches um, that, that, that includes the, the Sharks as well, our investors. So they're, they're available and they speak on some of our elite programs. Um, but, and that can cover everything from sales, uh, body language, public speaking, mindset, resilience, systems, uh, HR, that there's coaches in all facets because what we do know is that sales is not just one division it's everybody's part in the organization if we can get everything streamlined we can maximize sales opportunities so that's um that's where the name came from um and then over time once we'd come out on the back of shark tank of course it gave us a lot of credibility in the market and we evolved from being a company that trained individual sales to now focusing on 
larger corporate to enterprise companies and then training all of the people within that company, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can tell from experience, I know you've worked with friends that I've been involved with, with Mercedes-Benz and some property company as well. Yeah, fantastic information and, and advice as well. You're also a podcast host as well, and I've watched uh, quite a few episodes, so I'm actually a big fan of, of the Swiss podcast, especially love the episode with Grant Cadone, who's sort of been some of your favorite guests and, and moments so far. This is probably going to be my favorite guest. If I was to go with... I mean, Grant Grant was, you might not know this, Michael, but Grant was my first ever interview, um, ever. I, I, and I, so I started, so started at the top. Um, and that was a, it was a bit of a blag. He was a, um, a mutual friend of Andrew Banks, who's one of our investors. And we knew he was coming over for a Bris, Brisbane conference. Um, and Grant's daughters go to summer camp with Andrew's grand grandkids. So, um, so we got that connection. So he was literally the first one I ever did. And my wife, even as we were going up in the hotel in Brisbane, we're in the lift and my wife's like... <laughs> Are you nervous? I'm like, I wasn't until you said that. Um, so that that would be one of my favorites because it was definitely me stepping out of my comfort zone. And um, although Grant's methodology doesn't always lend to the Australian market and I don't, I don't support everything that he teaches, he's definitely had an impact on me with um, his 10x role and the mindset around that. So love that one. Um, Cherie Levitin, who's an American female sales coach, she is... Um, she, she, she talks about heart-centered, um, heart-centric selling. She was phenomenal. She's a wealth of knowledge, um, and I thought she was brilliant. But then, a bit left field, um, I, I've interviewed some of my team for the podcast as well. So just actually being able to sit down with uh, my operations manager or my marketing manager at the time and, and dissect what makes them tick and talk about their journey that might not have been necessarily in the limelight or public-facing, and it made me recognize that I don't need to have a brand or a name on the podcast that every single person has a story to tell um, and we just need to know the right questions to ask to get it out of them yeah absolutely and that's the power of podcasting and especially being a podcast coach you you get to choose who you want to chat with and and learn the topics and and ask the questions and sit back and and learn as well so yeah it's a it's a great little thing free training <laughs> It's, it's free training. Yeah, I, I can tell you some stories of the people I've interviewed. And yeah, for me, I it's like I get a $10,000 coaching session in 45 minutes every single day. So it's great. Who's your favorite, by the way, just out of interest? I interviewed Dr. John D. Martini the other day, which was great. So that was going full circle. I've got one of his books there. So, you know, he's read 30,000 books, published 40, 40 books, lives on the world ship, and all he does is travel and teach and research and yeah, so that was probably my favorite recently, MJ DeMarco on Saturday. So yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of great people and you meet a lot of uh, great people, especially in the book space that I'm in. Yeah, it's fantastic. But getting back to sales, so I've been in sales for 15 years myself and yeah, selling is basically, as you know, selling yourself and getting getting to the point of selling, let's start with the basics. So the basics is basically mastering your state of mind and before you sell. So can you talk about the importance of not only presenting well, having a, a first impression, you talk about 4.18 seconds to make a first winning impression, but talk to me the importance about how important it is to first have that state of mind before you go into a sales environment. Yeah, 100%. So it's often asked, where, where does a sale begin? Um, and we, we've got what we call our, our negotiation ladder. It's a 10-step sales process, and it begins with preparation. Stage one is preparation. And there's a few different facets to that, um, and one of them definitely is is state of mind and mindset. And I think it starts there, but not with self. It starts there with other people managing your expectations that are a bit more experienced than you. So if I take take one of our new starters here, Angela, right? she's been in sales for 25 years. 
Um, extremely experienced. She's run um, very, very successful international businesses. Um, she's got no ambition to run a business again, um, but, and she's, she's um, very comfortable in the B2B space. But I know our average sales cycle is about eight to nine weeks with a, with a larger corporate, which is who she was focusing on. So from a mindset perspective, she could have come in here with all that experience, expecting to hit the ground running, make lots of sales in the first few weeks, be top of the board. That Our data does not suggest that's going to happen. So what I need to do as a leader is let her know and, and really break down our average sales cycle comparative to our average transaction value so that when she gets eight, nine, 10 weeks in, she's not disheartened and I don't lose her because she's not performing. And, and then you add on two to three weeks to find your feet, understand the systems, the CRM, the products, the process, um, the cultural fit. We're probably not gonna get a sale out of Angela for the first 12 weeks. But the danger I see in, in, in businesses is that managers don't do that to salespeople. They say, yep, yeah, you come in, these are your commission opportunities, this is the potential, and they try and sell them and they oversell it. So I'll almost do the, do the reverse and, and, and try and talk people out of the role or undersell it. Um, what that enabled us to do, and Angela actually made her first sale on week 12. It was bang on, end of probation uh, to, to a T. It meant that we don't create that roller coaster because all I need to do then is get consistency on the front end activity level. So I manage mindset by managing expectations around the reality of the role, um, firstly. Um, then there's there's a few things from a, from a state of mind perspective. Um, we do a lot of personality profile um, training. We talk about emotional intelligence. Um, we, we, we obviously do a lot of capability and um, skill set training. Um, and I'm a big believer in the fact that if you've got the skills and you've got the tools, it will remove a level of fear. If, I, if, if it doesn't matter what you say to me, whether you're a gatekeeper, a decision maker, an influencer, um, it doesn't matter what you say, I have an ability to deal with it, not necessarily overcome with it, but I can deal with it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to fear anything. You remove fear, you increase activity. So, the couple of things: the, the preparation stage, yes, yes, mindset, managing expectations, um, and then also uh, giving people the the skill set, which will remove a level of fear as well. Yeah, definitely. And some of the notes I got from that actually said preparation, but I like how you said expectations. And you know, setting the actual expectations for the salesperson is 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 key. You don't want to throw someone in the deep end and say you know, go out there and sell 10. And really, it's not about selling 10. It's about the process of selling and the day-to-day -day process. And with that process, it's a skill set. If, if you look at any trading, like a plumber, for example, they don't go out and say, okay, install three toilets and here's some tool. They, they know the process. They know the steps they follow. So you've got to treat sales as a, as a toolkit as well. And I like how you said, it's not about overcoming objections. It's about how you actually deal with those and having the knowledge and that skill set to take away, removes that fear as well. So yeah, a lot of salespeople might play with one particular style, one cricket bat. They've got one persona and they, they like to sell to one particular personalities. But something you identify as well in your training is identify how to communicate with all different personas as well. Talk about the importance of, you know, not just DISC, but that we do, there are multiple different personalities and personas that we deal with. How important is that to know who you're dealing with. Yeah, I, th I think it's exceptionally important. I mean, even even away from sales, like just life relationships, that it's almost ignorant to, to, to think that everybody thinks the same as we do and acts the same we do, that is inspired the same as us, that is motivated the way we are. 
we're not. We're we're all cut from a different cloth, and and we we will have different motivational drivers that are also um, flexible at different times of our life, and and experiences can dictate that. So, it, the 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 analogy I give is that you could be the best French salesperson in the world, but if you're trying to sell to me in French, I don't understand you. Um, it's the same reason we read the five love languages. I dare say you've read that book. Um, and, uh, and we read that because we respect our loved ones so much to speak their love language, right? I want to know what my wife likes. Like, does she, does she prefer words of affirmation? Does she like acts of, what, what, what does she like? And I want to make this relationship work. But then when it gets to sales, we don't spend time understanding consumer behaviors, not on a granular level, which is what I've obsessed with for the last four or five years, so that we can adapt, adjust and respond and speak their language. Because what that will allow you to do is connect with everybody. Um, and the, the, the age that we live in right now, technology dictates that I can find out everything about your business at a click of a button. I can find your clients, I can, I can get testimonials, I know about your products. I can really find out your pricing if I wanted to, even if you don't have it on your website, I could get it somewhere. So the, the business is already exposed. The products are already exposed. What is not exposed is the sales professional, the, the, the one point of difference. And, and I believe if we can really maximize that, um, and I'll give you a great example, right? You were, you were at Mercedes before, right? So you know the, the agency model that they're now following? So now there's, there's no flexibility in the price point. It's that every vehicle anywhere around Australia and New Zealand is, is exactly the same. So I can't cut you a deal. I can't throw in this, that, and the other. I can't knock off a couple of thousand dollars. I have to purely sell you on you choosing me to do business with. I think that is a bloody amazing model because it sits perfectly with the Swish methodology in creating clients for life not just smashing somebody over the head because it's the 31st of March and I want to make uh, make my quota for the quarter. Yeah, and one thing that I talk about which I really love, it's securing clients for life and you talk about not closing but, but value exchange as well. I really like that and that ties into the second thing that you and your company are big on which you've never sold somebody until they buy from you a second time. Can you expand on that and what, what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, we're literally just talking about that. We, um, we just bought on board um, t uh, today or yesterday um, Pexa, uh, Property Exchange Australia, so a huge listed company. Um, and I said to my team this morning, That's, this is just the beginning of this relationship because we do thoroughly believe that you haven't made a sale until somebody engages your services twice. Um, and that, the, the, the message behind that is that it's now our job to give them what they didn't expect to get. So we're not here to meet expectations, we're here to far exceed them. And we wanna reinforce that message constantly with our team. So the way we do that is it's part of our negotiation ladder. So they're hearing about it all the time. That the second that we transact, and I was taught the complete opposite to this. I was trained that once you make a sale, you get somebody's credit card details, you put the phone down, you got 45 seconds to get on to the next person. Um, now it's how can we go above and beyond? What, what can I do for them right now in this second when people are at a heightened state of buyer's remorse, they may be questioning whether this is the right decision for them, what are the little one percenters that I can do? A little text message, a video on LinkedIn, send them some cupcakes that are branded, I don't know, whatever you wanna do, that make them go, wow, I wasn't expecting that. And when you do that and you do it without expectation, the natural byproduct is that your business is gonna grow. They might not use your services again, but they're certainly not gonna look at you any less and they might give you a referral um, as well. 
So um, so that's really what that message is about. Yeah, and it's also about the power of always thinking long-term and salespeople need to have a buy-in with their particular product service in the company as well. So if the salesperson is not bought into the company long-term and they're mainly, oh, I'm going to smash this for six, 12 months, close as many deals, get as much commission as possible, and then slickety-slick, Will Smith, Chris Rock, smack across face, I'm out, see you later. It's actually not good for the company. So as as an owner of the business and sales manager as well, your job is to not only recruit people, train people the right way, but get them to buy into the company as well for that for that long-term vision as well. Talk to me about the power of persuasion and why you know books have been written on persuasion, but how important it is for not only to build rapport in those early stages, but to continue with persuasion with sales. Persuasion is an interesting word. Um, I mean, I, I don't. I personally don't really lend to it, and I don't. I don't throw it around in here. I want persuasion, um, influence, um, convincing. First three letters of the word convince. I don't agree with. Um, we we like the word inspiration. It's one of our values. Um, can we can we inspire somebody to take action for the for the greater good? Right. We're not a charity. We we want to grow as well. We want to make money. Make no bones about it. But can we do it and we um, and we actually positively impact people as well? So um, if we talk about inspiration, then what we consciously think about is I, I want to inspire somebody to take action um, through my discovery phase and um, through the, the, the value exchange or the transaction completion, whatever you want to call it, um, but also post. So even with our customer experience team here, it's how can they inspire them to now use the program? How can you inspire them to engage in a live session? We do two live sessions a week in our, in our on-demand program. How can you inspire them to want to be in it? Not, not tell them that you have to be there because that's part of your program, but make them want to be there. We don't do what we need, we do what we want. Um, that's more emotional. So there's a constant reinforcement of that message as well, that um, our three values are integrity, inspiration, and be the change to see the change. So if I know, and I hear this a lot because I've spoken about it many times that my, I used to have a debilitating fear of public speaking and and I, it was in only post Shark Tank that I decided to get a public speaking coach um, that allowed me to to become a better version of me on stage and you, you saw me in um, Sydney about Melbourne you saw me in Melbourne uh, Melbourne Jordan Belfort emceeing with Dasha with your fancy jacket your superman jacket on and yeah you, you killed it you did a, a fantastic role so uh congrats on on the public speaking and MC. yeah i appreciate it like it i mean that that was the biggest gig at the time that i'd ever done there was 1100 people i think in the room but i know people see that part of my journey and they a lot of them know if they've been following us for a few years that our first gig there was three people there and i didn't do it i bottled it i i left jack to do that so I know that when I share that story, that does inspire other people to go, do you know what, maybe I could do that as well. So what that means by, by default is that I'm constantly asking my team in here, how can you be the change for them to see the change? How can you step out? Like, if that means that I have to force myself onto a stage in front of a thousand people, that means I might be able to impact one person in that crowd. Um, and they might not use my services, but they might go, do you know what, I'm going to do some public speaking training or I'm going to stand up in front of my team tomorrow morning and we're going to deliver a, a better more eloquent speech because if ryan can i can like do you know what i mean i don't want to be a hero but i think we not we've got to push the boundaries a little bit yeah one thing i want to sort of deep dive into is you said a word which i really like which is called reinforce can you talk to us about sort of your team your meetings i know you have a meeting at 802 in the morning and no one shows up late because it's an odd time can you talk about how you structure your team and how you motivate and reinforce and role play as well yeah um so 
again, if you look at human behavior, we know that it takes us two and a half hours to get informational decay. Um, and according to the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, we'll, uh, we'll retain less than 10% of information within 30 days. Um, so we know categorically in COVID, I mean, I've got to be careful how I phrase it, but it's been great for us in, in that respect, because I think people have appreciated the power of small bite-sized digital learning as opposed to let's just get into a one-off conference that motivates for 24 hours. That's not what gets results. So reinforcement is scientifically proven to get better results and to get more out of people. So um, internally, we role play four times a day. Um, so if we talk about the two and a half hours to get informational decay, I don't want the team getting two and a half hours in and then forgetting what we spoke about first thing in the morning. So, I mean, I'm truth be told, I'm not always in, involved in those sales role plays, but the sales team will get together um, after each break. So after morning, morning huddle, after the first break, after lunch and after the afternoon break, and they'll just do a quick two to three minutes. That's it. It's not, it's not, not too in depth. It's right. We're going to practice our intro. I'm going to practice my discovery questions. Can I go through this particular objection that I feel like I'm getting a lot at the moment? And they just go back and forth a couple of minutes and then back onto back onto Zoom or, or phones or whatever they're doing. Yeah, I know you're a fan of soccer as well. And I know I follow you on social and you, you've got your little boys playing soccer. But it's just like any sport or skill. You train, you train, you train, you play. You train, you train, you play. If you're at work, you work, you work, you train. But a lot of jobs, they just work, work, work. And you're never actually correct in bad form. So it's actually quite interesting about the, the reinforcement. You you need to be told if you're not doing something wrong or if you're doing something right, repeat it. But yeah, it's so powerful role-playing and, and reinforcing. And I think there's so much money left on the table by companies that just think, yeah, you're a salesperson, you know how to sell, we'll let you go do your numbers. No, but you're actually, your, your closing ratio could be a lot better, saving money, making more money. There's so many avenues towards that as well. So it is all about leadership who's running the company, who's managing the company and making sure that's that's done correctly as well. Segwaying a little bit, talk to me a little bit about some of your non-negotiables in your daily life and what advice do you have for, for this with non-negotiables? Yeah, so non-negotiables non that we set are part of our goal setting um, and weekly rhythm. Um, so we have we have our IB Lee list that we create. So at the end of every single day, um, before we knock off, so before we leave the office um, or before I finish work. So I my my non one of my non-negotiables from a structure perspective is that I'll be finished here at 5.30, right? So 5.30 to 8 o'clock is family time. It's something that I've been working towards for a few years that I knew I was going to have kids. I've got two young boys now um, that I wanted to enjoy that 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 evening period once they finish kindy um, and Alicia's finished work. So 5.30 to 8 o'clock, non-negotiable, that's, that's family time. Um, kids go to bed, 8.30 till 10.30 slash 11 o'clock. That I then pick up my computer again and I'm working. Um, my wife knows that. We, we, I manage expectations around that's the lifestyle. And she's happy because we get the family time in between. I don't work um, weekends really anymore either. Um, so they're, they're, that's a, a couple. Um, then at the end of the working day, we write down the six major tasks that we must complete tomorrow. Um, and then we prioritize them in order of importance. And then we, uh, we Brian Tracy eat that frog. So we put to the top of the list what is the um, what is the worst thing and we're going to do that first so setting up my day is definitely a non-negotiable from the day before a couple of other ones that um i would guess i'm really conditioned to because i don't even think about them anymore and um, kissing my wife um good morning good night um saying i love you like so that it translates these days as just a quick kiss on the forehead before i leave that's pretty much it but i still do it uh, because it's just i've done it so long and i had it written down in front of me um Drinking two, two liters of water um, every single day, 
I don't always do it, right? And I think this needs to be really hammered home with non-negotiables. <laughs> yeah, as you go. Um, non when we talk about goals and non-negotiables, I think people get lost in this and they go, I couldn't possibly do that every single day for the rest of my life. That's not the point. I don't drink two liters of water every single day, but I drink more water than I used to. And, and that is the point because it's, it's front of mind. A um, couple of business ones. Um, so touch base with three potential clients. So anybody that's in my pipeline um, and touch base with three existing clients that are in my pipeline. Um, show gratitude to um, a team member. So that might just be a quick text message or a Slack message or just saying that I appreciate what you did. I noticed that you did this today. So I'm conscious about intentionally doing that. Um, so there's a, there's a few little random ones that now they're good. I, I got a lot from that as well. Right. And some of the other stuff you talk about, you talk about ordering your network and intentionally selecting a new network and, you know, dropping a loser friend, picking up a winning friend. That's one of my ones. But yeah, reducing your exposure to negativity and misaligned individuals by ordering your social network connections. Tell me the importance about sort of leveling up your, your network. And, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes our light shines bright. So you need to let people know to wear sunglasses because you're not going to dim your light. You're, you're going to keep shining and growing. <laughs> Brilliant. I got that from one of my author friends, which was really cool. But yeah, talk about auditing your network. I, I, I don't think I really appreciated it until Shark Tank, truth, truth be told, or even until I started doing the podcast. And then I started to meet some really, really elite performers. Um, I used to think it was fluffy, uh, but I used to think all personal development was fluffy. I don't come from that world back home in the UK. Um, and I, I didn't write goals until I arrived to Australia. So I was 27, 28 years old. Um, and what I, what I had realized was that when I, uh, there's probably a real big penny drop here. When Steve and Glenn, a couple of our investors, they came to the office post Shark Tank. So this would have been about September 2018 or 2019 no, 2018, sorry, when it went through. So we, we filmed it in March. We didn't get the investment till September. So there's six months worth of due diligence. Um, they came in the office and we had a three-year plan and they had a three-year plan. And there was millions of dollars difference in the three-year plan. Um, and I remember Glenn saying, my job here as a mentor, as a coach, is to raise your line of sight, right? And get you looking up and out, not down and in. I want to go raise your line of sight, get you looking up and out, not down and in. And Jack and I didn't have the ability to think as big as they did in reality because we hadn't seen it. Those guys, even Andrew Banks has already got online training programs over in China and the US and doing hundreds of millions of dollars. So they saw the potential that we couldn't see. And that is the beauty around aligning yourself with the right people. Um, and then on the flip side of that, it's auditing and removing or reducing your exposure is the way I try to phrase it because some people we can't eliminate and 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 let's be clear what I mean by that is family members right people that are close to you when we first started to grow this business when I started to try and grow my personal brand and I started putting content out there on social media I got ridiculed by the people closest to me because they're the ones that feel comfortable enough to do it uh, and they were and it was all a bit tongue-in-cheek and what I realized as I started to study humans, it was, it wasn't done maliciously, but it was a, an unconscious defense mechanism on their part, because the more I grew, it was exposing what they weren't doing or didn't have the, 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 the drive to do. So even when I talked to people that were closest to me about business, um, I realized that I was unconsciously taking business advice or even sales advice from people that have never run a business um, or a parenting advice from people that don't have kids. So 
if I know that conversation is going to happen with the same person over and over again, if it's a family member, for instance, I'll just reduce my exposure to that part of the conversation. So I might still talk to them as frequently, but if I know that every time I talk about business to somebody and they go, you work too hard, that will not make you happy. You're gonna run yourself into the ground. You're gonna kill yourself. That will go in eventually and you'll slow down. You'll suppress your potential. You won't have high activity levels. And I didn't want that to happen to me. So, because I love what I do. And the thing was, they couldn't appreciate that I actually love what I do because they'd never love what they did. So again, it wasn't malicious. So what I do now is if I feel the conversation is going to go towards business or they go, so how's work? I go, it's fantastic. Anyway, how's things over there? How are you going? And I just, I control the conversation. I, so I'm still having frequent catch-ups, but I don't allow myself to get caught up in a, really, am I? Do I live in, is my house too big? Is my car too nice? Am I, should I buy that watch? And they're the little questions that were starting to niggle away at me in the early days when you put yourself in a different room and then you tell them that, oh, I've done this amount of hours this month or I've um, this is the types of clients that we're, we're looking to partner with. And they go, why are you not thinking bigger than that? Why are you not looking at the American market? And they literally raise your line of sight. So I'm very conscious about creating hit lists, which sounds horrible, um, even down to on a personal level. Me and my wife created a hit list at the start of last year and again this year. Which people do we want to hang around with? Like we've got kids and we've got we've got a business each as well. So we realized that we can only really, not only, but we're better connected with people that have kids and have businesses. If you have kids, that's all right. You kind of get us. But if you don't have a business, you don't get the whole picture. So we created a hit list of couples. Anybody listen to this now, they know they're on this hit list um, that we wanted to spend time with. And it meant we were more fulfilled on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Yeah. It reminds me of a conversation I had recently with Dr. John D. Martini, and he spoke about sort of the, the value ladder and everyone's got a different value ladder. And I think the older we get, not only are we very conscious on our value ladder, like my value ladder is people, education, knowledge, sharing books, authors, and stuff like that. So if you don't fit into those things, you know, I'm not going to open up to you and I'm not going to, you know, invest the time, energy, emotions uh, with that particular person. So, but we're also ordering other people's values. And once we know their value stack, like, okay, it doesn't align because we know that, and you talk about this as well, that the only precious resource we have is time. And it's an investment, you know, spending even 45 minutes with us chatting. If our values weren't aligned, you know, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I think the older we get, we realize about, about values. And we only want to spend time with people that we can actually grow from them, learn and have that open space where we can talk about exactly what we feel in our heart instead of what we pretend to talk about. Yeah, how's the weather? How's the football game? How's this? And we're like, ah, I really want to talk about real thing. I think that's huge too. One last thing before we sort of wrap up, this is an odd one, but you talk about scheduling your diary a full year in advance and sort of balancing the year ahead and ensuring you've got enough time for yourself and your family, but blocking out your diary for 12 to 18 months in advance. Can you talk about sort of your process on that and the power of sitting down every year and you know doing those chunks of time and blocking that out uh in your in your journal and diary yeah 100 percent um so i've got a couple of really good mentors by the way around this and one of them is dr glenn richards obviously a business partner now um but also anna samios who is a phenomenal phenomenal scaling up coach she's the only female certified scaling up coach um you would have maybe read scaling up by Vern harnish um yeah, and um, she's, she's amazing. And she, she spoke to me a lot about protecting my diary um, and, and respecting my own time um, and, and also conditioning people around me to respect my time as well. So what we did was sit down and we looked at the next 
quiet point in my diary. Um, and we realized that I was just going around in circles. Like I was wanting to work on the business, but I couldn't because I was too busy working in. I was doing 35, 40 hours a week delivering training via Zoom or, or flying around the country. And it just wasn't sustainable. I was going to crash and burn at some stage, and I'd already done that a couple of times. Um, usually when I go on holiday and stop, so I don't get to enjoy the holiday because I actually crash and get sick. Talk about the story. You actually did crash. You you burnt out. You passed out. What happened? You literally, you nearly died or something. I don't know if I nearly died, but it sounds weird. <laughs> no, but you like, you were out, and then you came back too. And you're like... Yeah. Um, that was it. So I was in Bali. Um, so when we first started this company, we were about two years in and Jack and I had had a conversation about, mate, we've been working 14, 15 hour days, seven days a week, probably wearing that as a badge of honor as well, like telling everybody how hard we work for no money. We didn't pay ourselves for the first two years. Um, and we said, we need a break. So um, Jack booked a holiday, um, Alicia and I booked to go to Bali. Um, and we were two days in, it was um, the, the, the second morning we were at breakfast and we had a very conscious conversation around not talking about work anymore. Um, so Alicia had her salon. We were talking about building another business as well on the side. So at breakfast, we said, that's it. No more talk. Next six days, we're just going to enjoy the holiday. Um, so we, we mentally and verbally switched off from business chat and then went for lunch that same that same day. So a few hours later and I was in we were in the restaurant. Um, I hadn't had a drink just for the record. And I, I started to I started to feel a bit lightheaded. Uh, and I said to Alicia, I said, I'm going to go back to the room. I don't feel good at all. Hey. And then I, I just remember standing up to go back to the room. And then the next thing I knew, I woke up in the restaurant. I'm in a wheelchair. Um, I've got an oxygen tank on me and I've got sick all down my front. Um, and, and Alicia was like right in my face screaming at me, but I couldn't hear anything. It was almost like I was deaf. It was really quite strange. Um, and apparently I had a fit. Um, I, I just collapsed in the restaurant and everybody came running over and I started having a fit and throwing up on myself. So, and that's a horrible story. Um, and they, they couldn't really put it down to anything. All of my vitals were, were okay. Um, but I had it explained to me afterwards that it, it, stress was almost like inertia, that I got this two years worth of stress. I'm, I'm going around in circles and I can't see a way out. And then I do take a break and I just stop. And then stress comes and just smacks you in the back of the head. So because I didn't have... We, we like the work-life balance which i also know doesn't quite exist but i didn't have any level of balance eventually it caught up with me so knowing that now and really trying to fight that happening again um i've i've got total control and protection of my diary so i i do block out 12 to 18 months in advance i i clear my monday morning and my friday afternoon um it's officially sanity time but in my diary it says strategy um and it's Monday morning is, is, is empty. I don't have any appointments on a Monday morning because I don't want to be sitting there on a Sunday night with my family panicking because I've got to prepare for a Monday morning meeting. So I've got the team meeting, but that's okay, but I don't do any customer facing on a Monday morning. Friday afternoon, exactly the same premise because I don't want to be coming out of the office on a Friday stressed that I've got things to catch up on. Friday afternoon is close those loops. So I bookended my week firstly, and then I said, I can't physically keep doing 35, 40 hours worth of training. Like it's, it's, it's mentally, physically, emotionally draining me and my clients are not getting the best version of me. And we worked out what was optimum and it, and it worked out 10 to 15 hours worth of training a week is what I could actually deliver. And so we built that in. We said, when do I want to do it? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I'm available for three to five hours, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for the next 18 months. And that's the only time my team can sell my physical training. Um, and 
and and then around that is business development, training my team, administration meetings, and so forth. And I just created my perfect diary, and then learned how to fit my clients into it. No, it's perfect. It's order in your time. One one of the goals I've got, and I'm practicing at the moment, is to have Easter every single week. What that means is is Good Friday and Easter Monday, and people say, "Oh, you're available Friday." So no, it's Good Friday, and they said, "No, it's not." And I said, "Not for you, it's not." But for me, it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, beautiful. That's that's one thing that I look forward to. T- telling people and having that you know working four days off with the family i've got two kids myself two young kids and a wife so and then working three days on full time but then choosing to work you know saturday mornings uh, most of my clients are in america and obviously the time difference is great so i'm up at you know 4 a.m 5 a.m and spend two hours every morning so that that's fun but yeah it is all about sitting down you know stopping pausing reflecting breathing having a holiday and saying you know what what does this mean like what where where is this business going? Where is my life going? And what's important in the value in the value stack as well? I think that's a good point, Michael. Like, where 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 is the business going, and where do I fit into it? Like, I'm I'm very aware. I, I've never taken a business to a hundred million dollars a year. I haven't. So I I probably don't have the skills to be able to do that. Right, and that and that's okay. But there's a great book that I'm, I'm assuming you've read every book in the world, by the way. I haven't. No, just the good ones. I don't need to know how to do that. I just need to know who can do that right? and and that that's the whole premise of everything in business and delegation i don't need to know how i just need to know who um and so what i've i've got a, a goal a grander goal that by the time maverick my eldest is three and a half um so in 18 months time he'll start school properly um so not not pre-prep but um, school i want to be able to take him to school and pick him up at the end of the day because i absolutely love that that trip it's so cool when he runs to the car and then i've got fox who's 18 months behind him so by the time they go to school, can I have this business to a stage whereby it runs um, uh, at, full, at full pelt with a general manager, a CEO in place that means that I don't need to do morning meetings, I don't need to be here, I don't do training at those times, and I can, I can have that balance with my, my children as well so I don't miss out on that. So I've got the reason behind strategizing my diary now. I'm not going to get to that stage in, in two years' time or 18 months' time and then go, I just want to be able to take an afternoon off. It's like, no, everything I'm doing right now is geared towards that. Sounds a little bit, I interviewed this guy named Jeremy Harbour a couple of weeks ago and uh, he's done a book called Go Do Deals. And he said, uh, a business owner really should only be having four meetings and they're basically with mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures and exit strategies. So in terms of taking a company to 100 million, you should be having those particular uh, meetings. And I was like, well, that actually makes complete sense once you read his book, Go Go Do Deals. But yeah, that's definitely a noble goal is to drop your kids off, pick them up and, and just have that lifestyle balance too. And it's about ordering your personal where is your energy lie what does your day look like and having those expectations with your family and yourself as well so yeah you've got so much content out there we could we could literally talk for hours about sales coaching and things like that but where can can people sort of find you reach you you've got so much content online what's the best ways they can sort of deep dive into your sales methodology and philosophies online if, if they want to connect with me personally um linkedin instagram facebook pretty straightforward um in instagram i put a bit of content out there personally as well but otherwise um the youtube channel so swish sales coaching we've got lots and lots of content that goes up there um and uh swish is obviously across all the socials as well so 
Yeah, pretty. Ryan took it off three sales coaching, which should be pretty easy to find. Ryan, thanks for being a guest on the Best Book Beats podcast. Thanks for sharing your story and yeah, all the work you've done so far. So, more audience out there, if you uh, need a sales trainer or a sales company for your company, if you're a, a business owner, CEO, and uh, want to train your staff, definitely reach out to uh, Swiss and and they will help you out. So, Ryan, thanks again for being a guest and enjoy the rest of the day. And hopefully, the rain stops in uh, down uh, Brisbane and Gold Coast. Okay. Cheers. Uh, appreciate it, mate. Thank you.